Bloody Elbow presents the MMA Vivisection, the show that gives you a comprehensive breakdown and expert analysis of all the fights happening on this weekend's UFC card. Here are your hosts, Zane Simon and Connor Rebush. Hey everybody, welcome back to the MMA Vivisection with me, Zane Simon, and my co-host, as always, Connor Rebush. I ended the last, our main card, Vivi, this way, but I'm just going to jump in and start this one this way because I should have mentioned it at the front of the other show, but I don't really come in with any structure besides looking at the UFC card in front of me, so, uh, you know, my brain's not there, but... For those of you listening who are wondering and have heard news about Bloody Elbow and our separation from Vox and all that kind of stuff and our hopeful future of going on and becoming an indie, uh, independently run site, the MMA vivisection will not go away. Whatever happens, this show stays. We will be around one format or another. We will be ongoing. So... For those of you longtime listeners, we appreciate you. For those of you new listeners, which don't exist, we appreciate you as well. (laughs) (laughs) And, uh, yeah. Anyway, I just want to get that out of the way because otherwise we don't have a lot to talk about on this Lewis versus Spivak Apex prelim card. For for those of you, by the way, celebrating our downfall, we don't die that easy, bitch. Yeah, no, no, <laughs> not I, this time. I am the I am pure cockroach energy. I am sorry. <laughs> yep. <laughs> yep. Anyway, for those of every- you clamoring for another uh, access news site that just says the same thing as all the others, gotcha, <laughs> motherfucker. We're still here. <laughs> Spent ten years living in this dumpster. You think setting it on fire is gonna kill uh-huh. me? Come on, come on, man. Yeah, <laughs> I love drowning in battery acid. There you, know? you go. You yeah, can't get me that easy. <laughs> All right. So. All right. Jumping in, we got these Road to UFC lightweight tournament uh, or Road to UFC tournament finales here. In front of us, and like all things the UFC uh, experiments with, they've taken a very fun and interesting and worthwhile idea, mm-hmm. and they have taken so absolute little, zero, no interest at all in it that I can't even pretend to care. Yeah, I did not even know this thing was ongoing. Yeah, they started it last year. And it was a fun idea. They ran, like, six events with it, apparently. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And I didn't watch any of them because they. I watched the first one because it was interesting. But then, you know, you watch, you're like, oh, yeah, okay, this is low-level MMA. You've, you've provided. Great. And then I'll come back. We come back around for the finale, and I've just forgotten that you put this whole thing together. And mm-hmm. it had every potential to be a really fun thing, but it's just a thing, you know. Yep. It's, it it's, was not important it's... enough to even make the main card of the worst, uh, yeah. what might be the worst fight night card of the year in the that middle is... of the night. That is shocking, isn't it? Like, why are these all on the prelims of this card, which, you know, by, by all accounts, should be 
the focus of this card? Like, yeah, you've it's like done having a tough thing. finale card and all the finals are on the prelims. Yeah, you spent a year on this. Why? Yeah. Why aren't? Why don't? I mean, I, and I get it. Like, you spent a year scrounging up dudes that you're going to pay ten thousand dollars. I understand uh-huh. that it, the stakes are not high, but that's what promotion is all about is it's about enhancing the stakes. It's about making people think yeah. that the stakes are higher than they are. And even the actual like road to UFC event shows um, like something that should have this sort of like, it should be this like novel thing, you know, UFC yeah. doesn't run tournaments. So like, yeah, it, it should be like this novel thing. You get the stories of these, these uh, aspiring young fighters and it, no, it just has the same like homogenous UFC flavor. Yeah. Just in an empty, totally empty arena yep. with incredibly low-level fights. Yep, and nothing distinct about it. You see these fights, and the guys climb up on the cage and raise their hands, and there's just nobody there. Yeah. What is the point? Yeah. Like, why not? If you're going to do this kind of thing, just put two fights per, two tournament fights per week on each card. And, you know, like on main cards. Uh-huh. All the way through the year, and you know, people know to, people tune in it, and they get invested, and they get interested, and then you have the finale, and you've got like four fights to headline a crummy fight night card that nobody cares about otherwise. Yeah, but you make it seem interesting because you've yeah, exactly, you've created some like narrative momentum for these fighters. Yeah. Nope. Nope. Instead nope. of just going to bury the story, the backstory, that's the only reason to care, and then bury the actual culminations of those unseen backstories on uh, the prelims of a card that also nobody will watch. Yeah. Success. I mean, I just, (laughs) I'm I'm glad they're picking up some people. It's a fun way. I just, you know, I just want some buy-in. I want the UFC to buy into the important, to the, to these ideas, to the level that they, that I feel like I'm supposed to buy into these ideas. Yeah. Yeah, you, you can know? totally trick me into being invested. That's your job. Yeah. Create we a are, story. We are tricked all the time into being invested. Yeah, you create a story to make yeah. the fights more interesting than they are. This this whole this seems to be this undergirding philosophy that, you know, that creates something like the white power slap league <laughs> is that what people really want to see is meaningless violence. Yeah. And that just isn't true. It People really want to get true. invested in characters. They want, you know, they, yeah. they just they want something to latch onto to get emotionally invested in, and that yeah, is something the UFC has never really seemed to understand. The, the old MST3K joke about sports: we have invested our ego in you. Like mm-hmm. that's what sports are like. We 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 want athletes and teams to invest our ego in, yeah. to live and die for us. You know. It seems like the most basic task of a fight promotion, especially the biggest one in the world, but nope, swing no. and a miss. Uh, anyway, let's get into the, the first of these road to UFC finals. Yeah. Anshul Jubli against Jekka Saragi. Mm-hmm. And uh, two pretty decent prospects. Honestly. Yeah. yeah. I mean, a lot of these guys don't look like complete busts. Like, I, again, no. I wish I'd been given an opportunity to really care about these fights earlier because... Yeah, you have some interesting raw fighters with potential. Yeah, uh, Jubilee, unlike you know, as a nice surprise, has a lot of the 
size that you would want to see out of an incoming lightweight. He's mm-hmm. six feet tall. Mm-hmm. He's got a good frame. Uh, and he, I, I guess I'm taking, I sorry, I'll, I'll give this over to you uh, in a second here, but, and he's a nice busy striker who picks a lot of targets. Yeah. He really um, gives me the feeling of an early stages, Henry hoofed fighter. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Like you can see him overthinking. It's like, he looks like a guy who has learned fundamentals out of a book mm-hmm. and you can see him in there, like picking his shots and, um, you know, making the defensive reads just like half a second too slowly. Yeah. Um, and seizing counter opportunities, but again, a half a second too slowly, but all the ideas are really good ideas. Mm-hmm. And, um, and yeah, once he sort of gets into a flow, his shot selection is really nice. Yeah. Uh, guy's got a great uppercut. Um, he is one of the few, this is actually something that has stood out to me about a lot of these road to UFC fights. There is a slightly different flavor um, where a lot of these fighters, like they just get into different kinds of fights that I'm yeah. used to seeing, like yeah. contested at much closer ranges, for example. Mm-hmm. And this is a guy who, yeah, he will, he will get right in his opponent's face and then just try to kind of, sorry, very loud car outside, just kind of try to like slot his head into a good position where he can like let the other guy's combo go past and then rock it back up with a counter left hook, like inside boxing. Yeah. You don't really see, like, honestly, I thought maybe that a turning point for seeing more of that in MMA was like Lawler Hendricks. Mm-hmm. We still haven't really seen a lot of fights contested at that range in that way. No. Um, and I'm going to say the same thing about some of what I've seen from Toshiomi Kazama uh, a little later, that this is a guy who somehow routinely suckers people into like, clinch wrestling battles mm-hmm. you're in open space but you both just keep the clinch and look for your opportunities you don't see a lot of that in mma either no uh usually people stand 19 feet apart and try to you know dash in faster than the opponent can react to yeah um so i like that about jubilee's game he's he is very comfortable being in a range where he has to make quick decisions and maybe he doesn't make those decisions quickly enough but he there is a good structure to how yeah. he engages in a po- pocket boxing match. Yeah. I especially love seeing, I mean, he's probably the only person on that whole show other than top Noy, maybe uh, who would routinely, who routinely dug to the body. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. You very know. good left hook to the body. Good straight right to the body. Mm-hmm. He, he just looks like a, yeah, a guy with some, some idea of like how to box in mid range yeah. and in close range. Um, uh, he is also like a, a lot of, if not all these guys, like, <laughs> and this is one major reason we don't see this more often, really prone to just getting totally shocked by a takedown. Yeah. Stands in really close feet planted, looking for his combinations and, uh, just gets blasted off his feet with like, <laughs> you know, that half second delay yeah. in action, uh, really costs him in that, in that regard. Yep. Um, it looks like a, an interesting matchup against Jake Asaragi because this guy reminds me more of like like someone like Carlos Mota, mm. you know, like a maybe a little bit of like Douglas De Silva, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. just like a stocky, muscle bound power hitter. Yeah, uh, who looks like way too tense, but the result of that is some very quick triggers. 
yeah. and a complete willingness to brawl in like flashes. Mm-hmm. Um, he tends to, if the other guy wants to come forward, he tends to let them, but then he will just meet them with a flurry of all out violence when they get into his range. Yeah. And, um, yeah, combines that with some nice, powerful kicks at range as well, giving people some incentive to close into his sort of like wheel of death. Mm-hmm. Um, I kind of favor Saragi here. Yeah, just because of the 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 latent like stiffness in Jubilee's game. I I like the look of Jubilee more. He does a lot of the fundamental things I want to see more from MMA fighters. But it like a Henry Hooft prospect. I do think he he's basically in for like a he, he he's in for a surprise. He just it, it, there might be a lot of what we we talk about when we talk about host fighters. Like there's a rough like five or six year process of like you're just gonna take some hard losses in yeah. fights even that people think you should win because he's not taking the shortcuts that most yeah. MMA fighters take. Where you're like ah, I have a vague idea of how technique works, but what really matters is like being super fast and aggressive. Yeah. And, yeah, he's in there trying to do things correctly. And yep. so, yeah, there, there's going to be times where people taking the shortcuts, they are going to have those shortcuts rewarded. Mm-hmm. There's a reason people fight that way. So I, I kind of think this is maybe that fight for him. This is that prospect loss kind of thing where uh, he's expecting yeah. things to play out along a certain track, you know, and, and the opponent just does not feel any any onus to abide by the same, like, rules of fundamental technique as him. Yeah, there, there are a couple things pushing me in that direction as well um one of them is for as sharp a striker is and as much as i like his strike selection uh jubilee does not he's not out there knocking people out no he i think he likes to you know he's trying to get there into the pocket and he's trying to be make the right reads and be conscious of his options and i think that that means that he's maybe not putting as much on his strikes as he could be. Sure. And maybe he's just also not that much of a natural power puncher for a guy that's six feet tall. He's got a pretty short reach. I think maybe he's one of those guys just a notch up in like fluidity. Yeah, it could be. Putting these strikes together, he looks like he punches in such good positions. Yeah. He does not off balance himself. Um. But it it's could just, be that another three years and he'll suddenly be like a right. crushing puncher. It's just that tiny delay between each discrete technique that yeah. uh, needs to be ironed out yet. And also at six feet tall without a really tall reach and with the guy as a guy who likes to punch in the pocket, mm-hmm. he's coming in against somebody who's five eight and has his same reach. Yeah. And, and he loves winging overhands. Loves winging overhands. And is a really decent knockout artist. Oh, yeah. Like, just has some really good natural power. And kind of like Kinoshita, really knows how to set up an entry into the pocket where he's falling in behind a power shot. Mm-hmm. Just really good at that. And that, uh, you know, for a guy who's 6-0 and and hasn't faced a lot of stiff competition, likes to step in, likes to, you know, be there to try to land his own shots, mm-hmm. I feel like this could be a rude awakening for Jubilee. Yep. 
Yeah. I mean, I got to say, like, he did have a moment like that in that uh, that fight with Kyung Kyo Kim. Mm-hmm. Where he he got shaken up with like a left hook exiting an exchange. Yeah. I think at the end of the second round. Mm-hmm. And, which is kind of the, the sort of thing I'm expecting to happen here. And I did like how he responded to it. Like, he yeah. stayed very defensively responsible and then made it out of the round, looked deflated, and came out in round three and just came out same fundamentals but more aggressive. Yeah, that's I was like good. I'm not going to let that happen again. It was a good response to adversity, but uh, the problem is that Saragi might he lands that shot, it might just knock him out cold. Yeah, the the part of it is unfortunately too that uh, Kyung Po Kim is a yeah. grappler who uh, doesn't have a lot of of functional fundamental power or athleticism himself. Yeah, and the reason the shot shook Jubilee up as much as it did is that it just yeah it just caught him. Su- completely by surprise in that again that that moment's hesitation yeah so yeah i i like a lot i'd, I'd love to see the ufc keep both these dudes honestly like sure you've yeah. got an, a dude from india with basic a basic fundamental game like jubilee who's gonna be in in fun fights like mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. just keep him around what do you you know Yet six hundred and twenty fighters on this roster, you know. Yeah, and two hundred of them are lightweights. Yeah, <laughs> you know, you you can actually sort of allow him to develop a little bit if you care. Yeah, exactly. So, uh, let's see, odds here. Jubilee is the favorite favorite here. Uh, a little surprised with that. Opened at plus one forty five, but has dropped all the way down to minus one twenty one. Is currently at minus one twenty. Saragi opened up minus 175, has jumped up to minus 101, is currently minus 103. So nearly dead even, which is more like all these fights should be very even, frankly. Yeah. These these guys are mostly, there are a lot of missing parts in almost all of their MMA games. Mm-hmm. And they're at a raw enough point in most of their careers that you don't want to be banking on like, Oh yeah, no, this guy absolutely can dominate this kind of fight. Yeah. Uh which brings us to a the uh featherweight finale and about between Zha Yi and Z- uh Zhang Yong Li and a fight that I absolutely feel like Zhang Yong Li can dominate. <laughs> mm-hmm. Um despite Zha uh, Yi or as I believe it's styled on the uh actual fights Yi Zha. Yi Zha. Um, which I think means Yi is the surname. I think that's the convention. Yeah, yeah. But you use the surname in in a lot of yeah. uh, those countries, uh, despite the fact that he is by far, on paper, the most experienced. Yeah, guy of these eight fighters. But uh, you look at that record a little more closely. It's a lot of lot of cans. Yeah, a lot of guys that really you wouldn't think a and also plus fight veteran has any business fighting. You watch him fight. And it becomes very quickly apparent what his record is and what it looks like and why it's been so successful. Mm. He is a dedicated wrestle grappler. Mm -hmm. He goes out there. He might throw a couple, you know, kicks. He might throw a couple right hands, one twos. But it is all about getting in on shots, creating scrambles. And getting to grappling positions. And he's not that great an athlete. 
he's not that great a shot wrestler. He's just really dedicated to the style. Yep. And Zheng uh, Yong Li is, or Li Zheng Yong, he is, you know, kind of what you think of as your prototypical Korean prospect. Mm-hmm. Of like, we were talking about this on the main card, Vivi, with uh, Duho Choi and how uh, a lot of Korean fighters have this uh, tendency to, they plant their feet. Like, I'm talking about like in terms of Gregory Rodriguez, where they plant their feet, they get in the pocket, they plant their feet, and their whole mindset is, I am watching you to see what punches I can land. Yeah. And I will sacrifice getting hit for the ability to land punches on you with my feet planted right in front of you. Yeah. It's a very confident, very aware, very physical style that also means that these dudes get hit a lot. Yep. There's a reason, but they're cool we, with it. Yeah, there's a reason that we warned that Gregory Rodriguez could absolutely get one punch KO'd by a guy like Bruno Ferreira, who has some one punch KO power. It's because he's gonna sit, stand there right in front of him, and he's gonna take a shot. Yeah. He believes in it, and Jin Young Lee believes in it too. But I don't see anything in Yija's arsenal that's going to really hurt him. It, it would have to be if, if he, his takedown defense is just miserable. But a lot of these fighters, and I think him as well, because they are you know so focused on their opponents in those moments, their takedown defense is usually not a big problem despite being planted right in front of the, their opponent. You know, mm-hmm. They're usually able to get themselves in position to sprawl, to scramble, to do things like that because... They're they're looking, they're expecting everything. Yeah. It's just Lord knows the hands are in good underhook position. Yeah. They, are, they aren't certainly aren't guarding the chin all the time. <laughs> no, no, yeah. So yeah, I think this is a probably a pretty good matchup for Jin uh Zheng Li. Yeah, I, I tend to agree. There are a couple other things. Um um yeah, like there, there's a reason that like Korean boxers are sort of regarded as like the Mexicans of Asia. Um that is a style that uh, translates to Korean MMA fighters, which is actually a curious thing because uh, a lot of Japanese boxers are similar, very mm-hmm. aggressive, um, just down to brawl and, and trying to put pressure on people. And yet that is not the tone of Japanese MMA. Yeah. I mean, Much... there, there are some fighters that that is the tone of, but yeah. they don't tend to... I think the, the big thing is, is that those fighters, because of the weird structure of Japanese MMA. There's a lot of like, you know, there are promotions that run like two round fights. Yeah. And there's a lot of, uh, you know, slower paced and like sort of disparate training styles that come together still there. Mm -hmm. Those kind of brawling fighters in Japan, they tend to be guys that have like records of like 20 and 20. Mm-hmm. They just never make it to any kind of level where you'd see them, right? And when they do, they're guys like Kai, you know, the Asakuras in Ryzen, yeah, where like 
they're a regional star that has a regional following. Yeah. But you're never going to see, like, they're never going to go anywhere else. Yeah. We had a little bit of that too with a guy who was in the UFC, um, Shinzo Anzai. Yeah. Bit of like a, yeah, stocky bruiser type. Mm hmm. But anyway, I'm not to just make this entire discussion about Asian uh, fighters about like various national fighting philosophy stereotypes. Yeah. But another thing that uh, Korean fighters definitely do better in on average than Chinese or Japanese fighters, weight cutting. Yeah. And that has to be considered here. Lee is a big dude. Yeah. I mean, he, he's not like gigantic for 145, but he is a very solidly built. He has a large frame. Mm-hmm. And he is, I believe, three or four inches taller than Yi yeah, Zhao. Yeah, he is. Uh, you have to factor that into his chances of being able to avoid a what looks mostly like a pretty sort of aimless wrestling grappling game, where it's yeah. a lot of Yi Zhao's fights that I've seen. The wrestling kind of comes to him. Yeah, like he he'll he'll do it or he'll try it, but. Yeah. If it doesn't work, then he'll just sort of get stuck in a listless kickboxing match where yeah. he, you know, every now and then he'll try something. It's, his, his wrestling game is not, it's just a, a lack of physicality. Yeah. He can't get in on a shot easily. So it looks like that'll be particularly pronounced here. If you're, if your yeah. wrestling success depends on your ability to sort of slowly eke out like some kind of positional advantage in a long clinch, then fighting a broad five foot 10 powerful fighter um seems like a a bad situation yeah we've talked a lot about how you know one of the things one of the one of the reasons that weight cutting is so prevalent and like it became it came over especially from wrestling is that man is it valuable to be the bigger guy and re- when if you're a wrestler absolutely it's the right. biggest effect i think in mma is is your ability to just sort of shrug off grappling attacks yeah or to just go out and horse somebody around yeah that too to yeah, just grab case, somebody I, and whip them to the mat and be like, sorry, you know? Yeah. Yeah. In this case, I think Lee is going to be the one shrugging off the wrestling and, and just yeah. trying to keep landing punches. And I think that's going to work. Yep. Odds on the bout. Uh, Lee Jun Young is the favorite open at, opening at minus 225, currently down at minus 257. Uh, Yija opened at plus 175 is currently at plus 205 mm-hmm. that brings us to a bantamweight bout Toshiomi Kazama against Rinya Nakamura and uh, he th- this is the biggest favorite fight of these bouts yeah Nakamura is the guy with hype from this yep. from this show, um, and you can see why. I mean, yeah. he is he is a guy. I, I was not that impressed with the first fought, fight of his I watched, mm-hmm. and then I watched another one. And I was like, he looks very different, and then I watched another one. And I was like, he looks very different and much better. And yeah. then I realized that all of these fights have taken place within the span of a year. Yeah, the dude debuted in May of 2021. Yep. Um, and he has dramatically improved and grown over the span of that time. This is, this is, by the way, a guy with a wrestling background. Yeah, a legit a, wrestling a legit background. wrestling background. He is a credentialed like wrestling champion. Um, who, yeah, has basically been learning every other aspect of fighting on the fly. 
mm-hmm. and is learning it at the pace that you you expect out of like really next level athletes. Yeah. So yeah, he he looks like he has a lot of promise. He is still very raw, mm-hmm. which is to be expected. But I think he's got a um a a, a relatively winnable matchup here to kind of show yeah. off the improvements he's made. Yeah. Uh, I, I like, I, you know, you talked a bit about Kazama and how he can just sort of like force a standing, a, a standing clinch exchange and grappling exchange yeah. for prolonged stretches. He is definitely, there is, there is forced craft to his game. How do you mean? I mean that he's not a great athlete and he's not a great wrestler all by itself. He's a very good, very solid positional grappler. Mm-hmm. But he is, he creates, he, 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 you know, he seems to fight with the knowledge of like, no, I need to make, I need to make crafty things happen when I'm standing up in order to try and get a chance to have the fight I want to have. Mm-hmm. And, you know, that's nice to see. It's good. Yep. But it is it is craft created through necessity of not being a great athlete. Yeah. And uh, he is also a guy who I, I have seen him before suffer for insisting on. He, he is he's one of these fighters who sort of needs to do everything to feel comfortable. Yeah. Yeah. And he is going to try to out wrestle Nakamura. Yeah. And I don't think that's a good idea. <laughs> No, <laughs> but it's difficult to see how it would be a really good idea for him to just strike because because he's I mentioned it before as as also um, being a really patently aggressive striker who will very comfortably just take shots and fire back. Mm-hmm. Um, likes to pressure, gets in people's grills, but he does take a lot of shots and does not have, pack a lot of power. No, and, and so yeah, this always leads to some kind of wrestling exchange. And the worrying thing is that I have seen, I think it was his fight with, um, maybe, oh, it was the, the one that I'm not even going to try to pronounce. The My My Tituoheti? Yeah, Karamuaili My My Tituoheti. Very difficult name. Sorry to that fighter. Um, where, yeah, he was in there. He was getting these clinch wrestling exchanges that he wanted, and he was um, a very interesting dynamic, as I said, where he's just, they're just sort of walking around. He's sort of mm-hmm. shoving the guy backwards, just trying to keep the clinch happening. And then as the fight goes on, he stops being able to sort of surprise his opponent with tricks. Yeah. And starts losing the wrestling exchanges. Starts yeah. like he gives up a super easy takedown at one point because he tries to like jump up on like a headlock. Yeah, where the position is just not there for it, um, and his takedowns just stop working mm-hmm. once basically his opponent has gotten a chance to see all of his bag of tricks. And I don't even think the bag of tricks is going to work no. <laughs> to start with against Nakamura. So it's easy to see why this is the big favorite matchup. There's chances for Nakamura to get surprised by something because again, he is a very raw and inexperienced fighter. Mm-hmm. But for all of that, you can see how rapidly he's improved. And yeah. uh, that just speaks to a much higher ceiling than a guy like Kazama is ever going to have. Yeah. It's, you know, for Kazama, too, he's only been fighting since 2020. So there's lots of room sure. for, for him to grow as well. 
And Nak- he's, again, Nakamura has just grown so much. In yeah, one, he, one and a half years he's been fighting. This is the athleticism is cheating track where you're just like, okay, yeah, we all yeah. get it. We all get it. And to his credit, I like what he's doing with his athletic yeah. gifts. He's not sure. yeah. just out there. He doesn't look like the aforementioned Michael Morales. No. He is developing a good process. He's become a yeah. much more aggressive, consistent combination puncher. You know, he already has just a natural instinct for for pressuring, yeah. uh, for cutting off the cage. I mean, yeah, it's a, it's a good direction for him to be taking that uh, cheating gift in. But, yeah, it is. Yeah. he is a cheating athlete for sure. You got to say, too, it's really unfortunate for Kazama here that he lost via flying knee at an event called Pound Storm. I know. I saw a couple fights from Pound Storm. <laughs> just what a, what a place to lose. Yeah, it sort of sounds like a, a leftover of the British Empire because you know their version of the dollar store is pound <laughs> is Poundland. <laughs> that is true. So I like to imagine. Yeah, it sounds like the Pound Store, the Pound, the storm. Pound Storm hitting the, the shores of Poundland. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah. But anyway, a pretty now I'm just story. imagining like the British, like the shipping reports, <laughs> like <laughs> highs of 37 degrees with the cold front coming in at four knots on the pound, sto- the pound storm <laughs> at the pound port in Poundland. <laughs> but a pretty straightforward pick yeah. for uh, the the super prospect in Nakamura. Yeah. All right, and that brings us to the flyweight uh, road to UFC finale. Choice Young-Guk against Park Hun-Sung. And um, neither of these guys look like honestly really great flyweight prospects long term yeah i gotta agree i'm just gonna go ahead and say like uh sungguk uh seems like he really lacks the kind of striking that you have to have or even the kind of physicality that you have to have to compete in the flyweight division like you're really get jumping into a shark tank at UFC flyweight, and I mean, the, Park, the same can kind of be said of Sung Park. I'm yeah, sure. he he has more of the athleticism, a little bit, and he's got more drive. He's got more functional. Yeah understanding of what kind of fight he wants to have or needs to have. But yeah, he also seems like he really lacks any of the technical aspect. Yeah. Where he's just I mean, going if, out. If anything, I think, uh, I think um, Choi looks a little more natural as a striker. Yeah. Yeah. I think he you're right. Doesn't really like do a lot of damage. Well, well, or, and or that builds anything. And that also though, like, that might also be though that because the the guy he fought on road to UFC, Quilun, uh, last time out. Mm-hmm. Oh wait, not no, not Quilun actually. Uh, the other guy, Supandi, was just tiny. Yeah, like 
the the some of the some of the the opponents they were finding actually for both of them i was it was sirigar who fought that's right i'm just getting confused now it's hyun sung parks fighting in sirigar where it's just like this dude is like five foot two yeah it looks like sure your striking looks okay in this fight but uh yeah, I don't know. Now I've kind of forgotten who I was going to pick. <laughs> They're both just not very good. I know. There's not a lot of not a lot of air between them. Yeah, um, I'm going to I'm going to go back I'm going to go with Hyunsung Park just because yeah. he has found ways to finish people and I think he has more drive for the kind of fights he wants to have. Yeah. But there's just they're very messy and they're very unathletic flyweights, and both of those things are not made to thrive at the flyweight division in the UFC. Yeah, I I, I tend to agree. I, I, for me, it's because um, I I do think Bark is a better looking athlete. Yeah, he looks stronger. the The thing that really worried me for uh, Xiong Go Choi was that he in that fight with I think it's Chu Lun. Yeah. Q yeah. in China is usually a chess sound. Yeah. Um, in that fight, he was, you know, he, he does some interesting things with the striking. It's not a lot of stuff that I expect to take him very far, but he is like an active, uh, tricky kind of kickboxer. Mm-hmm. It was when he went in for a takedown. Yeah. He, he had like an, again, an interesting tricky entry, sort of like fake to kick in order to create like a, a, a shift penetration step. Got in on the single leg, pretty good entry. Got in deep, and he just bounced off at Chulun. Yeah, and that doesn't—that at least does not happen to Hyun Sung Park when he is yeah. trying to <laughs> when he is trying to enforce his his grappling on somebody. Yeah, uh, he actually gets to good positions. He does complete his takedowns. I think once they tie up is when uh, the physical difference is going to be most pronounced. Yeah, I agree. Anyway, that's more than enough to talk about that fight. Yep, definitely the least uh, interesting of uh, two prospects that we've got here. Yeah. Uh-huh. Finals. Hyunsung Park is the favorite. Opened at minus 185, currently minus 196. Sungguk Choi opened at plus 155, currently at plus 161. All right. Uh, that brings us to a woman's flyweight bout. Kim Ji Young, Mandy Bohm. Given our girl Fire Fist here. One last go round back at flyweight mm-hmm. again because she just can't seem to figure out what division she wants to fight at. Mm-hmm. Well, maybe uh, changing weight classes is is going to be a shocker. Not the thing that she most needs. Yeah, maybe it's yeah. Uh, as is so often the case is to do the difficult thing and you know get better. And, and, I mean, maybe the, it's not possible. It is, difficult, yeah, you know. The worst part, we're, you know, our producer mentioned this going in that we've long belabored our disappointment that uh, as a woman who came out with like a really solid one-two, mm-hmm. just throws straight, knows how to jab, can goes to can, can even like go to the body at times and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. That she's just literally never learned to do anything else. No. Ever. And it's made... Sorry, go ahead. Well, No, I was just going to add that the the real problem is she has zero ability to dictate a fight 
against anyone. Like she will just have a 50, 50 fight. Yeah. With every single person she faces, which to her credit, she's usually competing. Like, yeah, most there... people have to have a scrap with her. It's never oh, easy. Yeah. Nobody walks through. No. Ji Yun Kim. She's insanely durable. And yep. she's a, you know, a consistent enough puncher that every time she gets hit, she's going to fire two or three punches right back. Yep. But um, she has no ability to, like, progress or, yeah, like, enforce her will on an opponent. She just gets yeah. into range. She lets them make the first move, gets hit, fires back, rinse, and repeat. There is no process to speak of. Yep. And uh, it's, ma- I mean, it's made her a very solid litmus test of, like, yeah. are you capable of competing in the UFC? Jian Kim is going to tell you. Yeah. Because if you cannot adjust to this, then every other fight you will have after this will be much more difficult. Yeah, pretty much everybody that she has beaten, which it's been four fights since that has happened, um, have been cut, except Justine Kish, who had a split that I seem to recall was really not decisive one way or the other. Yeah. Otherwise, then- it's, yeah, Molly McCann, Alexa Grosso, even Cachuera, yeah. even Jocelyn Edwards, the lesser Shevchenko, and our girl Lucia Pudilova, they have all, um, you know, at least managed to go on for some time in the UFC. <laughs> it almost seems because they beat Ji Young Kim. Yeah. Um, frankly, I think Mandy Baum is on the other end of this. Yeah, seems like it. She also looked like she had some potential, but she has, it almost seemed like the the moment she got hit by Ariane Lipsky, she was shook. Yeah. And she seemed to carry that feeling into her next fight. Like she is drowning out there. Yeah. I mean, I think it's just one of those things where like, you know, um, the the women the the ramp in women's MMA is still very short and very steep. Yeah, the, between going from the regionals to like you know going from the regionals where you're going to be facing some really shallow competition, mm-hmm. and stepping up to the UFC is just yeah the lowest level fighter there is going to be a huge leap up. Yeah, I think it's very clear that's what happened. She just came in, like, swaggering, like... Yes. And you could see it in her previous fight. She would be in there, like, looking slick. She would have to take a shot, and she would just shrug it off, like, uh, came up with some interesting ideas and was really, really, like, just very ballsy in how she acted. And she did not realize the actual gulf of athleticism between her and a good elite athlete. They tried to match this woman up with Tyla Santos twice. Yeah. Can you imagine? Yeah. That would have been a a literal death inside the octagon. Yep. Uh, She's just insanely slow. And it's not even the kind of thing where it's like, oh, you know, foot speed's slow, but the hand speed's there. No, she's just really, really slow. Yeah. And it means that everything, even things she can see coming, they still shock her. Mm -hmm. It's still, you know, she's not getting out of the way of anything. Everything that hits her visibly shakes her. 
Yeah. And now that she's learned that she's slow, yeah, you can see the the hits taken to her confidence too. Yeah, I think that's really the big issue. Because again, she 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 was taking shots in her earlier fights. So she was finding ways to adjust. Yeah. She she was at least feeling herself. Yeah. And she just is very clearly having a miserable time out there. Literally since like the first power shot Lipsky landed on her. Yeah. It's just been the, the next you know, uh, 20 plus minutes of cage time she's gotten in the UFC have been this much diminished attitude. If you can make Victoria Leonardo look physical. Yeah. And not even necessarily fast, but faster than you. Yeah. Like that is a big problem. And this should be a real solid test. This should be a real solid fight for Gian Kim, not a solid test, but just honestly, you know, She'll get a bounce back. And like I say, it's like you said, it's kind of too bad because the weight is not her problem. This might make her feel like the weight was the problem. Yeah. You know? Yeah, the real issue is she just has the same fight with everyone. But uh, yeah. this is an occasion where it's going to win because she's I just don't think Boom has what it takes to be uh, to, to feel safe against somebody who does not fight safe. Yeah. Who just and goes it- in there and has exchanges nonstop. If Ji Young Kim is just faster and Boom hits her like with a jab and she comes back with three punches, that's just going to be a regular bad night for Mandy Boom. Yep. All the way through. Yep. So, so Kim is just going to be down to down to trade. And, and I do think, too, you know, it has not been in any of the ways it should be, but it is in the way that almost every fighter does get better. Kim has improved. It's just, it's mostly a comfort improvement yeah she's accepted that all her fights are going to be like this <laughs> yeah you know like that, that fight she had that... with edwards like there there was no reason to have that fight but she did constantly like readjust and find ways to stay to make it tough and to like yeah you know and that is precisely what it seems boom cannot do yeah all right Odds on that bout, uh, Ji Young Kim is a decided favorite despite her four-fight losing streak. Opened at minus 245, is currently down at minus 275. Mandy Baum opened at plus 185, is currently up at plus 219. That brings us to a middleweight bout. Jun Young Park, Dennis T. Lulin. <laughs> I know. Our favorite fighter name. It, it is, is real- genuinely just fun to say. T-Lulin. It is T. Lulin. <laughs> I think he, the the unfortunate part is that like you know I think when John Anik says it something it's just he says like Tallulan or something like that like these kind of skips through the eyes. No, you got to say it like the Swedish chef. Yeah, I'm Tulin. very much <laughs> Dennis Tallulan. <laughs> you sound like I just watched a clip the other day of the uh, the uh, the IT support guy from the IT crowd. Do you remember this at all? Yes. Yes. Jen has to call. It's like in France. Yeah. He's like, hello, how can I be able to skills? <laughs> Incredibly exaggerated accent. That's what Tululin sounds like to me. <laughs> anyway. Um, uh, yeah, this... Why is this so low on the card? What's happening? And also, why did this fight get made? Yeah, too. I mean, but... I'm guessing Jun Young Park was just. Yeah, he wanted to fight at home in Korea. And, and this oops. is the fight they could give him. <laughs> I know. It's happening at the Apex against a much less accomplished opponent than he should be facing. Yeah. 
Um, but still dangerous. Still dangerous. Yeah, just a real rough matchup for him. Not that I don't expect him to win it, but yeah, it's uh, it's it's not a not the the level of ease that it should be for the amount of the risk that a, yeah. a loss would incur. As we know, with Jun Yong Park, one of our favorite fighters, um, like every fight he has in the UFC is going to be a danger to him. He's he is small. He is not a physical force. Yep. He is winning on pure, like, smart technique and determination. Yep. He's gritty and he is very crafty. Yeah. Just an educated jabber, a guy who will create, he creates exchanges to land counter shots. Oh. It's it's pure joy to me to see a fighter who goes in, who jabs his way into the pocket to create a counter from his opponent so that he can counter that counter. Just, I love to see it. Watching him beat Eric Anders, yeah, wonderful stuff. Questionable whether he actually beat him, to be fair. Questionable. But he did it by just going out there and, you know, putting the pace out, frustrating Anders, creating exchanges where he might get hit hard, but he's going to come back with two shots. Yep. My favorite fight of his in the UFC has been the was the one with uh, Tafan and Chukwi. Yeah. It's another one where, like, just physically, you were like, you are about to get destroyed. Yeah. And instead, exactly the opposite happens. Yeah, he knows he just is so crafty on the feet, and in the moment he gets on the ground, he is a savage. Yeah, um, and that Joseph Holmes fight was the same. Another guy who, yeah, like really that fight shouldn't have been competitive at all. No, based on their levels of experience and skill, but Holmes was just way bigger yeah. than Park, and so it it was difficult. But then the moment he got to his positions, it's like, oh, this guy's actually a very good fighter. Yeah, Holmes was six inches taller. Yeah, with uh. Let's see. Eight inches of reach. Yeah, and you could see it in the grappling exchange yeah. too. Like Holmes, if he's anything, he is a grappler. And yeah. uh, and you could see, yeah, it was genuinely Park had to kind of solve some early problems because just tying up with this man on the ground was a physical challenge. But he is so positionally educated. One of the few fighters too who has taken the lessons that Fedor tried to teach so many fighters Mm -hmm. and that Anderson Silva tried to teach so many fighters and that not enough. I am still, whenever I find out like how little some fighters focus on ground and pound, I'm just, Mm -hmm. I'm just depressed. Like, yeah. Park, John, John Young Park, he, he has learned those lessons. He is a great positional puncher on the ground yeah Yeah. phil and i talked to ben Cohn about this recently like it's it is a a fascinating topic why the one aspect of uh fighting that is almost totally unique to mma has not been like plumbed more fully like yeah and ground and pound is mma it is. It's like the thing that people find distasteful because they're not used to seeing it anywhere else. Like that you can get on top of somebody and keep hitting them. That it, it's honestly like maybe I think 
Kubo, that like face mask mm-hmm. martial art where they can hit each other in the groin. That, that, that karate, it's a, it's a version of karate, yeah. Yeah, it's like no rules, no holds barred karate. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, maybe like, I guess, Combat Sambo, there's there's a, to an extent, there's some, but it's it's pretty unique. Yeah. And yet it just seems to be most people just think, oh, I'm in a position like, oh, yeah, all you do is you go insane. Yeah, and like our, our, our producer just brought it up that like Tito Ortiz was really great at the r- truth is is that a lot Tito of really, Ortiz's method still works. Yeah, a lot of really old school fighters were much more scientific about ground and pound. Absolutely, because they saw it as the difference maker. Yeah. They you know a lot of what filled early MMA was strikers who couldn't re- who couldn't grapple at all. Yeah, or grapplers who tried to work off their backs, and wrestlers the the advantage that they could create was great ground and pound. Yeah, and they worked at it, and they met they met methodized it. Yeah, and it's almost some of that has almost been lost. It seems. Yeah, and then the other approach to ground and pound is like I have always celebrated Anderson Silva. I think the primary reason why the ratio for Silva between knockdowns and finishes is almost one to one. Yeah is that he was absolutely ruthless and patient and accurate yep. with his finishing strikes. Um, and I see so few, I've made the comparison between his ground and pound and um, Matt Brown's mm-hmm. many times. They're very similar in their approach, but that the idea of, yeah, getting posture and like patiently picking your shots, knowing that you have such a positional advantage, firing straight, accurate punches. Yeah. Nobody does it. Yeah. Nobody else does it. Everyone Park, just goes wild. Park, he's very good at it. Yeah, in the Tito Ortiz mold, a very good, like close range, keeping you controlled, but yeah. using the little the little posture he can gain to crush you with short, accurate elbows and punches. He does he's not really have the physicality to be the Anderson Silva style of it. No, but he is really good about knowing when and how to strike in ground in grappling positions. Yeah. Um, so this Tealulin fight, it's a fight he absolutely should win. Yeah. We're going to get to see some of that ground and pound. Yeah. Uh, cause Tealulin is a reckless, aggressive striker who loves to bull forward mm-hmm. and create chaos. But like every Jungian Park opponent, he's, three inches taller with four inches more reach. And he showed in that, in that Jamie Pickett fight that you can't just take him down. No. Jung Young Park is a much better wrestler and much better fighter than Jamie Pickett. Yeah. So I still expect Jung Young Park's takedowns and his game to work better overall. But, uh, you know, if T. Lulin actually concentrates himself somewhat, just a little, like just has a little patience and a little check in his game. Mm-hmm. He's a very dangerous dude. He is, or if he, yeah, if he just is patient enough, like he's hyper durable. He's rarely ever been knocked out. So if he could learn just enough patience to be hard to take down, he is a buzzsaw standing. Or again, I even just if he can survive and recover from getting yeah. taken down. Yeah, there is often a thing with with Park because I think he's so physically outmatched. Yeah where he usually has to catch a second wind at some point. Yeah. Even true. in his wins where, yeah, just having to tie up with these much bigger men, it just takes a lot out of him, even yeah. when he's winning. Yeah. So 
picking Jen Young Park, but every yeah. every fight for him in the UFC is going to be a nail biter. I love watching all of them, but yeah. it's always he's you know he's my favorite kind of fighter to root for. Where it's absolutely just like, every time I'm just like, how is he going to solve this? Mm-hmm. So, yep, he's got some of that some of that Bilal Muhammad, yeah, some of that Joshua Kulabau, yeah, just uh, just craft and preparation making up yep. for uh, who's the other guy, um, the middleweight. Oh, uh, yeah. Um, damn it. Um, I don't know why I can't think well, of it. It starts with an M, I want to say. Damn it. Uh, yeah, we'll think of it at some point. Yeah, he he just he just beat uh, Andre. Uh, uh, Petrosky. There we go. Now I can figure it out. I, okay, I've got great. <laughs> I was trying to think of an opponent, too. Uh, uh, oh, no, he didn't. He beat Nick Maximoff. That's right. Uh, Jacob Malkoon. Malkoon. Thank you. My goodness. That was going to drive yeah. me insane. Yeah. Jacob um, That kind yeah. of thing, too. Another guy where you you honestly, like, in his case more so, you're like, I have to keep picking against him, and he keeps winning. Yeah. Um, Park, I think we've seen enough to have faith that he can figure these matchups out. And particularly, yeah. Tululin, while dangerous, while aggressive, he is pretty unstructured, and yeah. not only do I think Park will be able to use that aggression against him some on the feet, uh, he's perfectly capable of running a bruiser like that into jabs, mm-hmm. of uh, letting him swing within like half an inch of his nose and coming back with counters. Yep. But you look at that uh, Kizriev fight for Tulin, and the takedowns, they just kind of present themselves. Yep. Uh, he's a very lumbering heavily rooted fighter and the more success you can have stabbing him with good counter strikes the easier it's going to be to get in on a on a quick single yep. or uh, just run him off his feet so i have faith in park but uh he uh he certainly deserves you know matchups more worth the risk yeah than like, this. given that basically every matchup is very risky for him they should mean something exactly that's the yeah. thing is it like if he's proving himself if he's beating a guy like eric anders then throw him in there against somebody like Brendan Allen. You know? Yeah. What's the harm in that? Instead, he basically, this is like his second pretty meaningless matchup in a row. And yeah. this time it's happening at the very bottom prelims of a very meaningless card. Yeah. So. After a very good, very just, you know, clearly, oh, yeah, you gave me somebody low level. I blew through him performance. Yeah. Like, yeah. Reward the man. Come on. Yeah. But I, I do think this will likely be the same. He'll probably have some some physical troubles uh, to start with, takes a few clean punches, maybe has a surprising amount of trouble getting his first takedown. Yeah. But once he gets into his good positions, I just I just don't think there's much depth to Tululin's game. No, there really isn't. Uh, Park opened at minus 245, currently minus 214. Tululin opened at plus 185, dropped to plus 165, currently at plus 174. So those odds jumping back up in the last couple of days. All right, that brings us to our opening prelim, Tatsuro Tyra against Jesus Santos Aguilar. And uh, yeah, this is another fight that I'm not like. This is a more. This is even I would say a more meaningless, difficult matchup. Yeah, although I, I will say I'm I I kind of like the way that they have been matching Tyra. Yeah, it would be so easy in the UFC. True, true. 
uh, in the UFC's anemic flyweight division to mm-hmm. just get one win and run instantly into the top, it's top true. seven yeah. elite fighters. They're not throwing him right at like uh, somebody like Manel Cop or something like that. Exactly. Yeah, it's so it's such a short road to get to those matchups as they sort of continue sort of rebuilding the division. Yeah. Um, it is bigger than it's ever been now. That's weird. Yeah. They they have over the last year, they added a bunch of guys who I feel like I've only seen each of them fight once. Yeah. Um, they've got a bit of that Bellator problem where they've they're they're signing all these fighters and you're like, oh that's cool. And then they're like fighting or one FC problem where it's like, oh okay, you yeah. you're fighting once a year. Great. Still doesn't have the feeling of like a healthy populated division. Yeah. But uh yeah, by by that metric, I mean Tyra is a uh, still a relatively inexperienced fighter. He's very young. Yep. 23 years old. And, and he uh, has one of those styles that is slow-paced yeah. and feels like everything was learned in a vacuum. Yeah. And so I, I think it's very technical, but he's he's technical, he's a great athlete. Yep. Um yeah, he has that style where like he he will spend a lot of time sort of nothing happening, and then the moment he finds his advantage, usually it's on the ground. You're like, oh, this guy's really exceptionally good. Yeah, yeah. But it still feels very much like potential that needs developing, and so I think getting a bunch of matchups that are not easy, but also not meaningful, like that's fine. Yeah, um, it's true. That that's that's what you do to bring a prospect along, and it's one of those weird cases, like uh, uh, as Phil said, like with um, Arnold Allen, where just randomly, once in a blue moon, the UFC will like treat a prospect the way you want them to be treated, like not mm-hmm. a bunch of easy filler matchups, uh, not a bunch of matchups that like because they're meaningless, they don't thrust them into the limelight too soon, mm-hmm. but they get them a ton of experience. It's true. I mean, is, if they did this kind of thing more often, I yeah. would be a lot. It would feel so le- much less like a what is going on here, you know? Yeah. I mean, there is this feeling that you get a win, you should, like we just said with Park, you should get vaulted up. Yeah. Park is about as good as he's going to be. Yeah, Park is, he's what, 34, 30, something like 31. That. He's 31. He has been fighting for 10 years. Yeah. He is at his peak right now. We are yep. seeing peak, peak Jen Young Park, and he's fighting. Joseph Holmes and Dennis Tiululin. Yeah, That's there should be different rules for a guy like Park or a guy yeah. like Hany Barcelos who yeah. came in late, a guy like Victor Henry. There should yeah. be different rules for these guys than for a 23-year-old athletic prospect like Tyra. Yeah, like it's just weird because, you know, just having come to terms like over the last year, finally, with the fact that the UFC is not designed to develop aspiring fighters. Yeah. Which kind of has me worried about all these road to UFC finalists. Oh, yeah, no. Because, like, most of them really need some time to develop, and the ones mm-hmm. with potential might just get burnt out. But, yeah, with like with Allen, they've taken Tyra, and I think this is a perfectly reasonable matchup to continue developing his game. Yeah, it's hard not to. I mean, we've, it's hard not to look at Duho Choi. Like, we're just sitting here staring and right yeah, in the yeah, face. Yeah, exactly. back. Somebody who beat Juan Manuel Puig. Sam Cecilia and Tiago Tavares and was suddenly fighting Cub Swanson. Exactly. I mean, it even just beat Juan Manuel Puig and Sam Cecilia and then was fighting Tiago Tavares. Yeah. That is already a jump up. Yeah. And then suddenly you're going from that win to Cub Swanson and Jeremy Stevens. Yeah. And you just, you know, 
they, they, and he was at the time like that was seven years ago. At the time, he was twenty four. Yep. And his career has never, you know, it, it just stopped. Yeah. For a so, number of reasons, but this could very well be the last matchup of its kind for Tyra. Yeah. Like again, he's 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 been really impressive. In all yep. likelihood, he is going to be facing, you know, Brandon Royval or uh, or somebody like that very soon. Yeah. But uh, for the time being, I'm happy with this matchup. Enough about yep. the meaning in the division. Let's talk about Jesus Aguilar. Yeah. Is he related to Kevin Aguilar? Because uh... not only do they share a last name, I know that's that's no evidence at all, really. But he looks like him, doesn't he? Yeah, he does. He's, he's got a very similar build. Yeah. He's like stock, he looks like a mini fridge. And he's got the goatee, too. <laughs> I think it might but, just be the goatee and the shaggy hair. He looks like a like a like just a, a shrunken version of Kevin Aguilar. Yeah, but Kevin Aguilar is from Texas. And, and Jesus is actually from Mexico? Yeah. Yeah. I don't know, man. It, I think it's the goatee. <laughs> but also the frame. It's, he really reminds me of Kevin. Um. Yeah, I mean, like you said, he is a for a matchup that that means nothing, that has no divisional relevance. He's a pretty tough fighter. Yeah, he's uh, he's very aggressive. He is definitely the kind of guy who will completely self out of position, going trying to land some bombs. Mm-hmm. Um, and is also a very willing wrestler and grappler. Yep, he will just throw the everything in the kitchen sink at his opponent every fight. I think it's very possible he surprises Tyra on the feet. Yep. Because again, Tyra is pretty technical, but he's he does seem to have this expectation that the fight is going to be at a really manageable pace. Yeah. And he doesn't seem to have adjusted yet to the idea that uh, people are going to come out and try to barnstorm him. Yep. But uh, it really is Aguilar's own tendency to to force grappling exchanges that has me still feeling pretty confident that Tyra is going to win this. Yeah. Uh, because a, he has shown, he's shown enough durability on the feet. I don't think he's going to get finished. Even if no. he gets rattled. And Aguilar has never knocked anyone outstanding. Yeah. Um, Despite even if he, his, his power. Yeah. His wild swings and his, his evident power. So even if he gets rattled, it is going to lead to a grappling exchange. And Tyra has been super impressive there, even in moments yeah. where, where he has ended up, Remind me, what was the scary moment in his fight with Candelario? Candelario, I think, like, took his back. and Yeah, it was either, like, a deep guillotine or, like, a rear naked choke where he had to. But this is true on the feet and on the ground. For all of his, like, apparent passivity, when Tyra has been put in a position where he needs to make, like, a critical adjustment to survive, uh, he does it really, really well. Yeah. Like, that, that, that patience and poise is really a benefit in those situations, which he seems like he will inevitably get himself into. But um, he is a, it's like the way Volkanovsky responds to like a tight submission, like the way Demetrius Johnson responded to Joe Benavidez as guillotine. Like, you know, there's a process to get me out of this and get back to a good position. And I'm just going to follow each step and not panic. And that has, that has done really well for him. And then otherwise he is a, uh, like so many great flyweight grapplers, a really tight positional control grappler mm-hmm. who just kind of breaks people down and and slowly improves his uh, improves his position. So, 
pretty easy pick for Tyra, while at the same time, uh, like his last two fights, it, it's, a, it's a reasonable test. It's not going to be yeah. necessarily easy. Aguilar is a physical force. He's only five foot four, but he will come out throwing big punches, looking to engage and hook up and scramble. And I think it's really just going to be kind of like the size and the positional yeah. dominance of Tyra that takes over from there. But, yeah. you know, this is uh, it'll be a fun fight. And it's a really rough landing in the UFC for Aguilar coming off contender series. Mm-hmm. Uh, Aguilar is a massive underdog here. Opened at plus 500. It's currently up at plus 776. Tyra opened at minus 800, is currently at minus 1276. I think this fight will not look like that. I think it possibly could, but I still think it's it's, that is too wide. I mean, Tyra is too young and inexperienced. And uh... Aguilar is much, much more physically capable. Yeah. than Carlos Candelario sure. or CJ Vergara. Yeah. Vergara is a big flyweight, but he's a pretty slow-footed um not even that he's not even that big at 5'6", but he's a pretty slow-footed, you know, lacks a step and there's a reason that Tyro was able to just like really horse him around is because he was just much faster. Yeah. I don't think Tyro's going to be much faster than Aguilar. No, yeah. I, this is this is uh, in that way his his toughest physical test yet for sure. Yeah. So, this could be a lot more. Uh, yeah, it could be a lot more of a scrap. I mean, it could be that Tyra just will you know teleport to his back and choke him out. And we'll yeah. Silly, but yeah, it could. Again, I think it really if if things just go perfectly. Yeah. Uh, Aguilar is gonna make grappling exchanges happen where Tyra is just better. Yeah, so it could look like a plus minus 500 kind of matchup, but uh, there's a lot of risk along the way. Yep. All right. On that note, we're going to wrap things up. You can find me on Twitter at these anytime. You can find Connor on Twitter at Boxing Bush. Find both of us over com. As always, the MMA Viv section is brought to you by Chris Reaney and his book, The Fine Art of Violence, which you can find over at chrisreaney.com, C H R S R I N I.com. Thanks everyone for tuning in, and we'll see you next time. Thank you for tuning in to this Bloody Elbow Presents production. To check out more of our content, subscribe to our YouTube channel, which is titled Bloody Elbow Presents. We're also on SoundCloud, Apple Podcasts, iHeartRadio, Stitcher, Spotify, TuneIn, Overcast, Player FM, and Amazon Music. Just search for Bloody Elbow Presents and you'll get brand new shows throughout the week, including Care Don't Care, the Level Change Podcast, the MMA Vivis Section, the 6th Round Post-Fight Show, 6th Round Retro, the MMA Depressed Us, Crooklyn's Corner, exclusive fighter interviews, show money, guest podcasts, the Hey Not The Face Podcast, and radio-style play-by-play for every UFC pay-per-view. Be sure to follow us on Twitter at Bloody Elbow, Facebook at facebook.com slash bloody elbow blog and as always on bloodyelbow.com. <laughs>